I V M. No matter what the leading sources of air pollution are, as residents of Delhi, we attribute much of our winter woes to two specific episodic incidents. One of them is the seasonal burning of crop residue in the neighboring states of Punjab, Haryana, and parts of UP. The other, which is seen in other parts of the country and results in a spike in interest around air pollution, is Dipavali, when we know that our indulgence in fireworks will result in worsening air quality. Welcome to Peak Planet. I am Karthik Ganesan, researcher at the Council on Energy, Environment, and Water, and your host in this inaugural season. In the last episode, we examined how the rules and regulations, the enforcement capacity, and the stakeholders involved interact to result in the really poor air quality that we have in Indian cities. In this episode, we speak to representatives from the farm sector in Punjab, farmers, and an official of the Department of Agriculture. We also deliberate the annual affair of banning of firecrackers in the NCR, the ensuing outcry. the restrictions that were imposed across the country and give you some insights into the new silver bullet that was offered last year the green cracker now on to our first topic for this episode paddy residue burning and its impact on air quality in the ncr we spoke to balveer singh who is a farmer and is now affiliated with the noorpur farmers cooperative society in ludhiana one of the most active and progressive groups there we ask him what is the biggest challenge in addressing the issue of crop residue burning and what he thinks is needed to resolve the issue पंजाब have still not received the last year dues sugar mill owners say that unless they clear their 60000 crores worth of sugar blocks they cannot pay the farmers what about the challenge that water availability throws up is the punjab farmer aware of the precarious position of the state's water resources mera to mera jo view hai sabse pehle to pucha chitali ko band karna chahiye isko aur variety firstly farmers should move away from using pusa 44 variety of rice and instead shift to more early maturity varieties secondly msp for other crops should be available farmers are well aware about depleting water tables in their areas for instance in sangroor groundwater level has gone down to 180 feet now but farmers are unable to diversify their crops due to marketing related challenges or lack of minimum support prices for other crops To the uninitiated the primary challenge that Balveer has highlighted is one where most farmers in Punjab and the neighboring state of Haryana resort to the cultivation of water intensive rice crop in the Kharif season that is May to October followed by a wheat crop in the Rabi season that's November through March the short duration between the harvest of paddy and the planting of the wheat crop means that the most effective way to clear the fields of any paddy residue and stubble is to set the fields on fire this adds significantly to the pollution in the region for the 3 to 4 weeks that it lasts the two main solutions on offer are what are called in situ and ex situ management of the crop residue in situ means handling the residue within the field and not having to move it out the happy seeder is one solution for this and helps sowing the wheat crop without having to clear the residue ex situ options basically target the economic use of the residue to produce energy fodder paper etc all outside the field 
in-situ is preferred and is where much of the focus and discussion is currently. It must be noted that paddy residue burning for the three to four weeks it lasts probably contributes on average only around a quarter of the overall particulate matter pollution. So there's a lot of pollution that comes from other sources that Delhi itself has control over. We spoke to Ms. Jaswinder Kaur, who is an agriculture development officer of the Department of Agriculture in Punjab and carries out training and awareness camps for farmers in various aspects of farming. She's also responsible for ensuring quality of inputs like seeds and pesticides and the disbursal of subsidy to farmers to procure farm implements. We ask her, how challenging is it to enforce fines and will farmers actually pay up? अगर एफर्ट्स करें जैसे अब चल रहा है हमारे लुधियाना में अवेयरनेस कैंप्स हैं वैन प्रचार हो रहा है कि हम जाके विलेज लेवल में वी नीड एक्सटेंसिव अवेयरनेस कैंपेन्स टू टैकल द इशू लास्ट ईयर वी विजिटेड मेनी विलेजेस इन लुधियाना एंड सेट अप कैंप्स टू एजुकेट फार्मर्स ऑन क्रॉप रेसिड्यू मैनेजमेंट वी इंफॉर्म देम अबाउट द सब्सिडी स्कीम्स एंड हाउ टू अवेल देम इन लुधियाना देयर वर मोर देन 100 सच विलेजेस वेयर नॉट अ सिंगल बर्निंग इंसिडेंट टू प्लेस so with focused efforts the burning could stop jilate hue pakde gaye hain paise us team mein bhi thi main i was a member of the team in charge of collecting fines there are three to four different departments involved in the process when a burning incident is detected we receive a notification with the details of that specific plot a five member committee visits that farm the next day and often find evidence of stubble burn there in many cases where we spotted fires we have imposed fines as well but fines are not the solution farmers should be educated about the health implications of stubble burning through more and more awareness campaigns as a follow up we posed a question to her can we address this entrenched problem of rice wheat cropping pattern across the landscape of punjab nahi diversification to honi chahiye crop diversification is the way forward government has launched a new scheme through nabad under which farmers cultivating maize instead of rice or wheat will receive 9000 rupees per acre in their bank account but marketing crops other than rice and wheat remains the biggest challenge we also spoke to raspinder singh who is a member of kheti virasat mission a 10000 members strong collective that is looking to imbibe sustainable agricultural practices within farmers in punjab they want to promote crop diversification wean away from the use of chemical inputs to sustain agriculture Raspinder was a key resource person for a study that CW published earlier this year on paddy residue burning in Punjab factoring in farmers perspectives. I started natural farming in 2013 after my association with Kheti Virasat Mission in Punjab. I attended their lectures and seminars and started practicing it on a smaller area. But now I have extended it to 4 acres. I grow 29 different varieties of seasonal vegetables, chickpeas, masoor, sunflower, animal fodder and even flowers for seeds. Natural and chemical farming are different agricultural practices with completely different techniques. There is a difference in spacing and sowing patterns. It is not true that yield for all crops decline with natural farming. but it is important to have an adequate knowledge of how to practice it what is the biggest challenge with the shift to natural farming practices most reduction could be expected in wheat and since farmers usually start natural farming with this crop they easily get disheartened and move back to chemicals now that we've spoken to three experts from punjab let's quickly get a peep into what ails indian agriculture 
and some options to weed out the malaise. Since the green revolution of the 1960s, agriculture in India has been heavily reliant on external chemical inputs such as fertilizers and pesticides. Agriculture in its prevailing form, coupled with the plummeting market prices for agricultural produce, has resulted in the scale of debt rising exponentially year on year. Farmers increasingly find themselves trapped in a vicious cycle of debt due to high cultivation costs and high credit rates. As we heard in this episode, in the absence of an assured market price for crops other than wheat and rice, which is mostly what India offers, farmers are not able to diversify their crops and gain the economic and environmental benefits of polycropping. There is a growing call to promote alternative agricultural practices that are sustainable and ones that require less subsidies and budgetary support. Natural and organic farming are two such practices and have been gaining momentum in a few regions in India. For instance, Sikkim was the first state in India to adopt organic farming as early as 2003 to improve soil fertility and to ensure protection of the ecology and promoting an overall healthy lifestyle. And for this, the state in 2018 won the FAO's Future Policy Gold Award for becoming the world's first 100% organic state. Similarly, zero-budget natural farming, ZBNF, or ZBF as it's sometimes called, advocates the use of natural admixtures made of cow dung, cow urine, jaggery, pulse flour, etc. And the elimination of fertilizers and pesticides is now practiced by over 5 lakh farmers in Andhra Pradesh. ZBNF claims to address a combination of social, economic and environmental challenges faced by Indian agriculture today. It promotes multi-cropping and intercropping and improves overall crop diversity, which is a good thing. It also claims to decrease the dependence on external inputs and this translates to a reduction in farmers' input costs. Use of natural fertilizers obviously improves soil quality and promotes biodiversity. However, the million-dollar question facing the proponents of this technique is, will yields sustain and can soils really spring back to life? It is clear that Indian agriculture requires a transformation, a deeper understanding of different sustainable farming practices and their impacts on yield, soil, groundwater is much needed. We need extensive scientific evidence in order to promote such practices which claim to yield encouraging results and improve the livelihood of farmers. Now, on to the other burning issue that we will all be facing in the coming weeks. To burst or not to burst firecrackers for Deepavali. And what does it do for our air in the cities? We approached a few manufacturers and retailers to get their views on what the uncertainty on the bursting of firecrackers is doing for their businesses. However, given their ongoing legal battle against the ban, they chose not to speak to us formally, but they gave us great insights. The entire debate began after three toddlers filed a PIL in September 2015 with the Supreme Court of India, seeking a ban on firecrackers as it was taking a toll on their health and not allowing them to breathe normally. It took the court two Deepavalis, 2015 and 2016, to realize that they did indeed have a valid point and banned the sale of firecrackers in Delhi in November 2016. Telltale signs of violation were visible even in the winter of 2016, where one could have firecrackers going off for weddings and other celebrations. In September 2017, the court lifted the ban, temporarily, citing that so long as certain checks were in place, sale can continue. It enforced the ban again within two weeks, but that window was enough to liquidate the stocks that were brought in. Analysis by Urban Emissions suggests that lifting the ban led to virtually the entire stock being sold and burst. Sharath, who we spoke to in an earlier episode, suggests that nearly 50-60% to 60 of the total pollution on the day of Deepavali came from firecrackers in 2017. This was despite the fact that crop burning was a lot less on the day of Deepavali in 2017, as it was not yet peak season and the winds were more favourable. One could argue, does one additional day of bad pollution really matter? 
as we learned from all our experts in the previous episodes, exposure to air pollution takes a cumulative toll. And every day we breathe poor quality air counts. The issue of the cracker ban clearly touches a raw nerve. They've become intricately tied with the celebration of our festivals and broadly our cultural milieu. And we see it as our right to burst them, more so than we understand our right to clean air. How did we get here? Let's dig a bit into the history here. There is no description of using fireworks to celebrate Deepavali any time before the Mughal period. Fireworks and pyrotechnic shows existed as a form of royal entertainment in many medieval Indian kingdoms during festivals, events and special occasions like weddings. Many paintings and miniatures depict royals indulging in celebrations involving fireworks. P.K. Gode, eminent historian in his book titled History of Fireworks in India Between 1400 and 1900, suggests that by the 18th century, fireworks began to become a regular site in grand-scale Diwali entertainments organized by rulers. The sense that I get from these short excerpts that I've been reading up is that crackers and fireworks in medieval India added to the grandeur of celebration, but also that they were probably quite expensive and hence commissioned mainly by rulers, the personal and citizen entertainment, or by economically well-to-do community. After the Mughals, for much of the British rule, the Stringent Explosives Act restricted the manufacture and sale of raw materials used to create fireworks. In 1940, the Explosives Act was amended, making the manufacture of a certain class of fireworks legal. The Nadar brothers seized the opportunity and in 1940 created the first fireworks factory in Sivagasi, Tamil Nadu. Ever since, there has been no turning back and every Deepavali has only become louder and smokier. The growth of the sector has been staggering. A PIB notification suggests that the industry is worth 6,000 crores and employs 5 lakh families, not individuals. A 2016 article pegs the sector to be worth 4,000 crore and also suggests Chinese-made crackers eat into nearly 35% of the market. We did our own sleuthing and found that the total recorded imports of firecrackers indicates that it's less than 5 crore. Clearly, any Chinese cracker that is making it into the market is illegal. We also attempted to corroborate the size of the sector with inputs from the annual survey of industries and find that if it indeed is worth 6,000 crore, the number of people who would be employed in factories would only be around 52,000. This is just the fraction of the total employment the sector claims. To give you a sense, only 700 factories are represented in the formal survey and their output is worth only 1,000 crore. So clearly, a lot of the manufacturing is not covered in the formal sector and we don't clearly understand how big their economic contribution is. This is a big sector that we're dealing with. All of these give us a sense of the explosive growth in the sector and much of it being unorganized. Rising incomes have also resulted in increased spending towards firecrackers. More importantly, 90% of these come from the region of Sivagasi in Tamil Nadu. Laborers, home-based as well as those in factories, can earn between 500 and 700 INR a day when production is in full swing. Clearly, the impact of a ban on production is going to be significant to the economy of the state and in the livelihoods of tens of thousands. Sivagasi, we are told, is already diversifying, but fireworks manufacturers still remain a lifeline. As we've just seen, an outright ban on firecrackers is politically and economically not palatable. As an interim solution to the question of pollution, the Supreme Court mandated the production and use of green crackers. Most were left baffled by the term green cracker. Is there even such a thing? The manufacturers that we spoke to even a few weeks ago said there was no clarity. This is a month before the Pavali 2019. However, Organizations like CSIR Niri and the Petroleum and Explosive Safety Organization have clearly defined what constitutes a green cracker. A green cracker must reduce particulate matter emissions by 30% at least, 
or a reduction of 20% in particulate matter combined with a 10% reduction in gaseous matter. Firecrackers contain a cocktail of compounds that get combusted. They have potassium and barium nitrate, sulfur, aluminum powders, ash to keep the moisture out and all of these result in a significant pollution load. Deepavali in 2018 witnessed some stringent rules around when one could burst crackers and also the Delhi had to use only green crackers. However, there was no real supply of green crackers then. In February 2019, PESO and CSIR Neri have informed the Supreme Court that new and improved formulations that adhere to the requirement of green crackers have been formulated and that there have been more than 300 non-disclosure agreements to share the new formulation with manufacturers have been put in place. Many leading manufacturers like Standard, Fireworks have signed up for these. But as we mentioned, a lot of manufacturing happens in the unorganized sector and licensing is not done by PESO. The notifications from government also say that QR-coded green crackers, which can be validated against emissions performance, will be available in the NCR this Dipavali. However, manufacturers did inform us of the lack of availability of raw materials needed for these new formulations. Remember, manufacturing starts within a month of last Dipavali to cater to the next. Clearly, a lot of change has happened in a short window. What we will get this Dipavali is yet to be seen. The Delhi government's plan to institute publicly funded community laser shows is a throwback to the Mughal times, when it was organized by the ruling class. This one is tech-heavy, of course, and is a great step to ensuring that we each shed the need to burst crackers in our homes, and instead settle for a public celebration of festivities without the smoke and the choke. Thanks to Balveer, Jaswinder and Raspinder for coming all the way from Punjab to speak to us. Thanks also to Sharath from Urban Emissions for insights into the impact of bursting crackers on air pollution. That's all from us for the first season of Peak Planet. We hope the four episodes have left you with more insights into the causes and impacts of air pollution, which is prevalent across India. More importantly, we also hope you understand how difficult it is to address and the role for us as citizens to help fight the good fight. Thanks for listening. Season 1 was produced by Akanksha Verma and Milan George Jacob and edited by Vishwam Raghunandan. Thanks to Mihir Shah, Neeti Gupta and Kurunji Selvaraj for their extensive inputs. Peak Planet is available on iTunes, SoundCloud and Spotify and other platforms. Send us your comments and feedback. You can know more about our work at cew.in or follow us on social media at CEW India. How aware do you think you are of your laws and rights? Do you look up to laws when you are caught up in situations? Do you know what your rights are when you're stuck somewhere bad? Well, here's a show that can help you move an inch closer to being aware of what your rights are. Tune in to Know Your Kanoon with me, Amar Rana. This is a podcast meant to answer all your law-related queries. Catch Know Your Kanoon every week on the IVM website or the app or anywhere you get your podcast from.